There's, a, there's one thing that I, that I didn't mention earlier, um, but I wanted because I wanted to draw special attention to it now, and that was last week uh, I mentioned um, this, and actually it's kind of funny because it actually comes up in the, in the sermon later as well, but I mentioned this last week. Uh, we want to get together a group of people who would love to watch carefully and just watch for people to, to respond, for the Spirit to move in people's lives and things like that as, as the service is happening. Um, we, we want a response team, if you will, to that. And so I mentioned that last week. Someone's just to, just to come pray with people, um, talk with people possibly, and, and just kind of see what's going on in their lives and, and you know, begin that, that process, whatever might be needed for that situation. So we mentioned that last week. Um, just threw it out there for you. We're going to mention it for three weeks, so I'm going to mention it next week as well. We had six people already sign up last week, but we know there's a few more out there. Um, and so I, I, I'll wait till next week, David, to, to, oh, it's up there? Oh, you threw it up there? Okay. Well, anyway, so this week I was sitting in my office and I said, hey, David, because he's right beside me, so I just holler. We don't like, anyway, I said, hey, I said, I got an idea. I just want to know if it's too cheesy. I am a child of the 80s, okay? I was born in 1976, so I'm a child of the 80s, and my two favorite shows growing up were, were uh, Knight Rider, and I do have a watch now that I can talk to. It just will not pull my car around. As soon as I figure out how to get that to happen, I'm telling you, anyway, um, that was, yeah, okay. And my second favorite show was... Was, was the A-Team. And so um, it was. It, it was really my favorite show. I loved that show. I, I, loved, I loved every character on there. But anyway, um, and so I said, is it too cheesy to call this the A-Team, the altar team? Is, it, is that too much? And he's like, no, no, it's perfect. So yeah, so we, we've given him a name. I don't know if we're going to make the t-shirt. We might, you know, like why not? As long as we don't go too big time. David goes, we can't go too big time with the logo because we definitely stole it. And so um, we'll get in trouble and soon we don't want that. So we'll, we'll see. All right. But, but that's, that's it. And we're so excited to already have some people on board. I'll tell you again the process. Once we get the last of the signups next week, then I'm going to take that group and I'm going to meet with that group. We're going to meet over dinner. We're going to talk about what this group entails, what we're looking to do, how we're looking for God to use us as a team to be responsive to those that God is speaking to as we gather together. And yes, it will ultimately move outside of this room as well, but, but for now, this is our starting point. So I wanted to mention that uh, right off the top, and yeah, David made that fun logo, so yeah, it's, it's just good. Anyway, anybody like those shows besides me? I don't know. I loved those shows, uh, and I realized it was the same thing every week, but I didn't care. It was so much fun to watch those things. I am excited for lots of reasons this morning, but I was, I was actually just walking back in because we had a little technical glitch, and so I was working on that, and I, I saw several of, of the students, including one of my daughters, up here, and I just wanted to let the students know how great it is to see you with us. Because here's the thing, after doing this for 20 plus years and always being with you, it's weird for me not to be with you. So I miss you. I miss that interaction I'm very thankful for Megan. I'm very thankful for her incredible volunteers, of which we always need just a few more. And so if that's you and God's speaking to you in this moment, man, I would love to help raise up that next generation of believers that are, that are right there waiting and learning, not the next generation of the church. They are the church right now, but they got to learn about Jesus. I love what they do. I love that they love working with you. Students, if you don't know that, they love working with you. They love sharing Jesus with you, telling you about Jesus. And I cannot wait. Here's the best part. I cannot wait to see who you become in Christ. One of the things, and those of us that, that have been in the church maybe quite a while, you've gotten to do this, haven't you? You've watched those babies be born, and you've gotten to watch them grow in faith and in Christ, and you've gotten to see them become a man and a woman of God, and it's an incredible thing. So parents, thank you 
for giving us a chance to partner with you to raise up these children in the ways of the Lord. It is a difficult process. We know that none of us can do it alone. And in this world that we live in, it's even more important because there is a constant, ongoing spiritual battle for the lives and the souls of our children. And it's awesome that we get to partner with you in that. So students, we love you. I love you. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. I do. And more importantly, Jesus loves you. And you might say, well, that's just a silly little kid song. No, it's the gospel truth, (laughs) okay? It's not a silly little kid song. It's so important. So don't ever, ever lose sight of that. And students, no matter what the world ever tells you, our Jesus is absolutely real. And he created you, and he created me, and he created you with a very specific purpose, and he created you on purpose, no matter what this world ever seeks to tell you. And you will have difficulties as you grow older. You will have questions as you grow older. Do not hesitate. There's a room full of people here right now that would love to help answer those questions and talk with you about life. Use us. That's why we're here. We are a family so important. Never go through this alone, all right? Adults, indulge with me just for a minute here. I'm going to review just a couple things for the students just so they know where we're at and where we start today, because remember, today is to be continued from last Sunday. I left you hanging on part of it last week, so, so just keep that in mind. Students, over the past 15 weeks now, it's hard to believe adults, isn't it? 15 weeks now, we've been in the book of Luke. We've been taking a deep dive into the ministry of Jesus and His life The last several weeks, we've been looking specifically at all the miracles that Jesus performed that are recorded within the book of Luke. Next week will be our last week in the miracles before we switch over to the teachings. I thought I'd take a second and just remind everybody, especially students, what a miracle actually is. They are absolutely supernatural occurrences. That is truth absolutely completely. They are things that are impossible for man to do by man's self, and quite oftentimes they are impossible for man to understand. But what I want to remind us is that um, what they are actually accomplished, what their purpose is within this world, at least for the individual who is affected by the miracle. A miracle is simply God's way of making things right, restoring things to the way that they, He intended for them to be, the way that they are supposed to be in the first place. The pain, the disease, the illness, gone, no longer existence. The disability, restored back to the way life should function. The storm, calmed, and on and on it goes. Every one of these problems that we have in this world are the result of the fall of man. They're the result of sin. And so what seems impossible for us is to God just saying, hey, guys, this is what it's really supposed to look like, and furthermore, this is what it will look like for all of eternity. Miracles that we see today in this story are absolutely no different from the ones we've already talked about. They are amazing. They are amazing. They leave us in awe and wonder of the miracle worker, do they not? And if we allow them to, then they'll lead us to faith in Him as well. And ultimately, that, of course, is our goal I also want to let the students know, since they're joining us just just for this day, just a little bit about the book of Luke. Not every event from Jesus' life is recorded within this book of Luke. 
But scholars believe that Luke is the most orderly of all the accounts. It's the most chronological, meaning that when Luke put this all together for us, he put this detailed and orderly account together so that the events seem to be recorded in the way in which they actually happened. This is a a chronological Bible that I have here. It is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful tool Um, I would highly recommend you getting one if you don't have one, um, because it is so cool, especially for the Gospels and for the book of Acts, because for the Gospels, it takes all the Gospel stories, all the events of Jesus' life, and it puts them back to back to back to back together. And it's a wonderful way to read through the Gospels. The book of Acts is awesome, because what it does is it takes the letters then of Paul that he wrote during that time span of the books of Acts, and it it mixes those in the book of Acts at real time, like as they were happening in the story of Paul life. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool. And if you can't find one, talk to me. I'll order it for you. Um, we'll, we'll get you one because it is a credible tool. Adults I'm, or students, this is a cool way to read the Bible. Old Testament, same way because the Old Testament is not in chronological order. And so it's just a, it's a really, really, really neat way to study if you think that way, um, if you like to put things in order that way. All right. So today's events, the events of today are, are left over from last week, if you will. They occur at a very specific moment. Now, if you're one of those people that looks at the differences between the Gospels, Luke says eight days. Two of the other Gospels say six. Luke says about eight days. He doesn't say eight days. And so he's uh, approximating that, so there's no reason for worry in the discrepancy between those numbers. This is what has happened. It's days after the disciples were asked by Jesus two questions. One, who do people say that I am in Luke chapter 9? And two, who do you say that I am? That was from last week. Peter is the one that spoke up and replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, students, if you've been baptized, then you likely repeated that same confession of faith, Peter's confession of faith, the great confession, as we often call it. But then after Peter's confession of that, Jesus says, okay, yeah, you're right. And he tells them, don't tell anybody who I actually am just yet. Wait, hold that information to you. And then he goes on to tell them that, hey guys, the Son of Man is going to suffer. He's going to be killed, and then he's going to be raised to life on the third day. And they didn't understand what he was talking about in that moment. And then verse 21 through 26 of chapter 9, and that's where we will begin today is chapter 9. So if if you've got a Bible or a device and you want to turn, there's Bibles under the seats in front of you. Uh, Go ahead. Luke chapter 9 is where we will be today. In verse 21, Jesus tells them, Hey, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels." I read through that quickly because we we read it last week and talked about it last week. But my mind goes to what on earth were the disciples thinking? Peter just said this incredible thing about who Jesus is. Jesus acknowledges it. He even compliments Peter in the book of Matthew on his acknowledgement of who Jesus actually is, him recognizing him as the Messiah, the first human being to ever officially declare exactly who this Jesus is. And the first thing he tells them is, yeah, you're right, but um, this Messiah that you've been waiting for, uh, nobody else is really going to listen to me. As a matter of fact, they're going to reject me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. And then he says, but don't worry about me dying because I'll be back three days later. So you need to get ready. 
So disciples, you need to get ready because I'm telling you right now that following me is not going to be quite what you think. There's not going to be any glory. There's not going to be any riches. There's not going to be any fame for you in this lifetime. In fact, guys, what I really need you to do is I need you to deny yourself. I need you to lose your life for me. And when you do that, then I promise I'll give you an even better one. And oh, by the way, don't be ashamed of me. Now, this is a problem in the church and in Christianity today. We read the words of Jesus and we either dismiss them or discard them because we can't possibly still believe that, can we? That's not the way the world thinks and the world doesn't like the fact that Jesus said these things. He said, don't be ashamed of me, the things that I do, the things that I say, because if you're ashamed of me, then when I return, I I will be ashamed of you. And I know, guys, that the world's going to think differently. The world's going to act differently. I get that. But don't be ashamed. This is the truth. Follow the truth. There was one verse last week that we left you on, and that was verse 27. We didn't discuss verse 27 at all other than we read it. And it says this. It says, truly I tell you, this is Jesus standing there talking to his disciples after giving them this incredible information. Some of you who are standing here, there's 12 guys there at least, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, that passage is kind of difficult to, or can be kind of difficult to interpret because Jesus did not return and bring the full glory of the full kingdom of God with him during the lives of any of these men. So what did he mean? Now, there's a lot of interpretations to this scripture. I'm just going to give you two, two of the most logical ones, all right? Let's start with this. We begin with a word that's used there. Well, not see. See, when you and I hear that word see, students, when you hear that word see, the first thing we all think is visual. We see it with our eyes as if the disciples would literally physically see the kingdom of God being lowered down into this world. We must understand that that word see doesn't just mean with your eyes. You can perceive things. Oh, I see. I didn't visually see anything. I figured it out. Mentally, in my mind, I can do that. I know something. I see. I experience something. I I said, I have seen that before, having nothing to do with my eyes. Before they know or perceive of, of anything, the reality is this. Certainly, some of those 12 experienced the kingdom of God in their lifetimes. Three of them, we know, specifically got a very specific glimpse of Jesus. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Peter, James, and John will literally see the full glory of Jesus before their very eyes, thus making Jesus' statement here very true. But we can take it beyond that. Eleven of those 12 will absolutely see or experience the kingdom of God come through the power of God and the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. His kingdom came on that day as the Spirit was brought into our midst. And so absolutely, Jesus isn't lying. This isn't a figure of speech. He he meant it. They didn't understand how he meant it, but he absolutely meant it, and he was true to his word like every other time. So let's look at that first example of them experiencing the glory of Jesus. It's a fascinating scene About eight days, it says in verse 28, after Jesus said this, answered these questions, or or agreed with Peter that he was right and then told them this information, Peter, James, and John went with him up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his, Jesus' face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men appeared with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure 
which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. His departure, yes, he will soon be leaving this earth. He will be dying. They're discussing the details of that. Interesting. Peter and his companions were sleepy, but they became fully awake, obviously. They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to them, Hey, Master, it's awesome that we're here. Let's, let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke adds this comment. Um, he didn't know what he was saying. We'll talk about that in a minute. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son with whom I have, or whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When Jesus had spoke, when the voice had spoken, they found Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves, and they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Now, this was certainly a miracle for sure. The reality that these three human beings got to see Jesus, got a sneak peek at Jesus in His full glory is a miracle. And you might ask how or why. Well, we got to go back to the Old Testament to understand why this is a miracle. In Exodus 33 verse 20, God is having a conversation with Moses on Mount Sinai. And Moses asked God specifically to show him His glory. And God replied, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, but you, Moses, you human Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. No one until now. No one until now. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Peter, James, and John got to see his face. (laughs) That's a first. And that would have been incredible. But you know what else? You and I will get to see that same exact face one day. And if that doesn't just kind of give you just a little bit of... (laughs) then I don't think you heard me, (laughs) okay? I really don't because you got to know that same face that they experienced in that moment. You and I will stand before one day for all eternity. It'll be incredible. It'll be incredible. Now, all the disciples have been talking this last week about Peter's bold confession. They didn't understand everything that followed. They wouldn't understand it. They couldn't understand it really until the resurrection. But This miracle definitely confirms Peter's declaration that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. But there was something else accomplished here as well. Jesus appeared with two other people. You see, in the Jewish faith, um, these two people represented everything in the Jewish faith, the law and the prophets, the, the two most important things after God in the Jewish faith. And Jesus demonstrated in this scene that, yes, Moses, very important, the law, very important, the prophets, very, very important, but guess what? I'm above both. I'm in charge of both. Jesus is greater. And then, like I said, Luke throws in that little comment there. It's kind of funny. Um, They wake up. They try to figure out what's going on. They see Jesus. They realize that's who it is. Somehow, via, via godly discernment, they figure out who these other two people are. And Peter, he stands in the presence of the glorified Messiah of Moses and Elijah. And what does he think? Man, it's awesome to be here with you guys, and it'd be really great to stay. So, hey, why don't we build you a house? We'll build you a tiny house. It'll be great. We'll just hang out up here together forever. Can't wait. 
Luke comments, Peter didn't know what he was saying. What on earth? Pete, what are you, Peter, what are you doing? Like you see John just smack him as he's talking. Why did he say that? He said that because he was caught up in the moment and he didn't know what to say. So he talked because that's what Peter did. And he said, hey, I don't know, a tent. Let's build a tent. It'll be great. We'll, we'll all hang out together. Thankfully, thankfully, God himself, you'll notice, interrupts Peter's train of thought because who knows where he was going. Um, it's grateful that he did that. And he speaks for only the second time on behalf of his son, Jesus. He confirmed Jesus' identity as the son of God. And he told the disciples that Jesus was, in fact, the chosen one and assured them, hey, listen to him. Listen to what he tells you. But then Luke goes on and he tells us that the disciples, they, they kind of kept this to themselves. They didn't tell anyone about it right away. As a matter of fact, we don't really know when or if they told the other disciples about this exactly. We're not sure. Now, you might think that's a little odd. Like, why wouldn't they just come down immediately and start telling everybody? Well, it's really clear Peter, James, and John didn't understand what just happened. They didn't fully grasp that idea, and they didn't want to go telling people until they had a better explanation or an understanding of the full event from maybe even Jesus himself. Peter actually references this real event later on in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Now, the thing is, that was written about 30 years, plus or minus, after this event. He actually records what happened. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when he told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father. Then a voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. This is not referring to his baptism because Peter writes, We ourselves heard this voice when that came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain, the sacred mountain. It's an incredible event. Students, adults too, but I always tell the adults this. So students, imagine, imagine being there in that moment. Imagine being one of only three human beings to ever see Jesus in all of his glory. Just imagine what that would have been like. Then they got to experience the rest of their life on this earth knowing what they knew. They got to experience the rest of their life on this earth sharing with everyone everything that that man had taught them, everything that that man did in their midst and everything that that man did for them. It's an incredible thought to imagine that, but now I want you to stop imagining and I want you to believe that this Jesus is the same Jesus that we worship today. He's the same Jesus that came to this earth for you, to reveal himself to you, to save you and me from our sins. Now, that word sins means nothing to the, almost everyone in the world today. And so we've got to be reminded what that word sin means. It means more than a mistake. It means to do wrong, to do evil, to go against the ways of God. All of the things, all the stuff that we've done wrong, God, that same Jesus came to save us from that, to offer us an invitation to be with him forever. No matter what we have done, no matter where we have been, that same Jesus comes to us today if we will accept and believe. That's why we're going through this incredible book of Luke. Will you accept him and believe? We're going through this book to help us be certain of what we believe and to help those that are struggling to believe to come to a point of faith 
in Jesus. And it's moments like these that are so fun and make me so excited to get the privilege of being your pastor, to get to share these amazing truths with you, maybe in a way you've heard them before, maybe not. But knowing all the while that as we share these truths, God will use them, he absolutely will use them to transform lives, to restore lives, and even to bring to life someone that is apart from him right now. It's, it's awesome to get to be a part of that. All right? So let's finish this narrative because it kind of goes a couple different places at the end here. Verse 37, the next day when they came down from the mountain, I just want you to imagine, right? You went up with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. You see Jesus fully, and now you come down that mountain. What do you suppose your face looked like? Think about it. If any of you ever had like some great life event, maybe it was a roller coaster, maybe it was a, but as you left that event, you just had this glow about you. It says that after Moses' encounter with God, he glowed, literally. Like he, he had this thing about him that you just looked at him like, there's something different about that guy. And it says as he grew older, that presence began to fade. And so he hid himself so that people didn't see the fact that that was fading from his life. What did these three men look like when they came down? I want to know. Because I don't think they looked the same. They were forever changed from that moment. Anyway, they get down to the bottom of the mountain. What happens? Well, there's already a crowd waiting. He's gone one day, and everybody's right there at the bottom of the mountain waiting. Teacher, I beg you, a man cries out, a father cries out for my son. He is my only child. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams and it throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive him out, but they could not. So Jesus leaves just for a moment. He comes down, huge crowd waiting, this desperate father. He is desperate for his son, not just to be healed, but to be saved from the torment that he's suffering. And he'd sought out, he went to the right place. They were available. He sought out the disciples. Why? Probably he'd witnessed or heard about them going into all these little towns and villages. Jesus had sent them out to go and do things like cast out demons. But for some reason, the disciples, they, they couldn't help this boy. Now, Jesus' response in verse 41, listen, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Now, I don't know what tone of voice Jesus used there, but I don't think it was the soft, tender tone of voice. You just can't say those words like, well, you know, you, you perverse and corrupt generation of people, I tell you what, you're just not. No, I just don't think that's how that came across. These words, they seem very harsh, at least they do to me. I don't know about you, but man, he's kind of being mean to this dad and the people that had gathered. But the reality is this, he's rebuking basically every single person there except for the boy. It's the only person there he's not talking to in this moment. Here's the reason why. The disciples first and foremost. Why? Because they didn't do what he'd already given them the power to do. In Luke chapter 9 verse 1, he gives them the power to drive out, and I quote, all demons. All demons, including this one. There's no exceptions to that. So Jesus is upset at the fact that they don't have enough faith to do exactly what he empowered them to do, and he's not happy about that. They should have been able to do that. He rebukes the lack of faith of the father. Why? Well, because we know that if that father just had the faith, the same faith as that woman that we studied a couple weeks ago, that snuck up behind Jesus and just touched the edge of the cloth, if that father had the same faith as her, his boy would have long ago been healed. Well, then he's rebuking the crowd. Why? Because why? And they're here just to be entertained, just to see another miracle, another sign. They just followed this poor 
poor boy and his father. Oh, I bet they're looking for Jesus. Maybe Jesus will heal him. Let's tag along and go see the show. They weren't going to develop a faith in Jesus, at least not yet. It was no different than the Hebrew nation back in Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 20. They are way, they too were completely disobedient and unfaithful in spite of all of the miracles God performed to get them out of Egypt and all the miracles He is daily performing to keep them alive in the wilderness. In verse 42, even when the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground into a convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the impure spirit. He healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And the crowd, they were all amazed at the greatness of God. The disciples and the the father's lack of faith were not in any way the fault of the boy. Jesus chooses quickly to, to free that boy from the bondage, to cast out the demons. Now, when you see these scenes in the Bible and you see people set free like this, it really, really gives us a visual. We are able to see what the freedom of Jesus truly looks like. This is true freedom in Christ for those individuals. And we might look at today's society and go, well, how does that translate? Well, I don't know your feelings on the spiritual world, but I don't think demons have left us. I think they're still here. I think they just manifest themselves in very different ways because they found new ways to do that. And a lot of the demons that we have today, a lot of possession, if you will, that we have today are things that we invite into our own being and they take over. Think addiction. Absolutely, a demon, it possesses a person. We can choose to have freedom from addiction, from pride, from selfishness, from greed, freedom from the demons of our past that will even say haunt us, freedom from guilt, from shame, from the mistakes we've made, freedom from the temptation of lust in our lives, freedom to replace the lies that we're surrounded with all today that we choose to absorb into our brain, freedom to replace those lies with the truth of Jesus if we will believe in Him today. If we truly live today, we truly live in an unbelieving and perverse generation. I don't think any of us would argue with that. So are we willing to step out of that generation, out of that crowd, away from the darkness, and join Jesus in His light? Because it's so obvious, the light and the dark in this world in which we live. Luke records what he always do. Students, Luke, throughout his book, will always say, hey, the crowd was amazed at what Jesus did. It's just incredible. Wow, great job. And I don't know what they were doing. Look how great that our God is. Um, but it's not enough to change their hearts yet. So let's review as we end today. First of all, Peter declares Jesus the Messiah. We, we talked about that last week. Peter, James, and John join Jesus. They see glorified Jesus together on that mountain. They come back down. Jesus casts another demon out of a boy. The crowd is amazed. They're clapping or whistling or yelling or whatever first century crowds did when they were amazed. I don't know. It wasn't there. While everyone was marveling at what Jesus did, Luke says, he said once again to his disciples, this is a repeat from last week, listen carefully. Listen, guys, say, listen up to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But it says they didn't understand what he meant. Matter of fact, Luke says it was hidden from them, so they didn't grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. That is a key sentence there. They were afraid to ask Jesus what he meant. For the second time, Jesus gets right to the point, and he tells the guys, here's the thing, I'm going to be taken in. Some folks are coming for me. You know, all those rumors you're hearing about me, about the things people want to do, yeah, that's going to happen for real, like for real, real. The rumors you're not telling me about that, they're going to come true. 
The text says they didn't get it. The meaning that Jesus was, was, was hidden from them. Why? How? What's causing this meaning to be hidden? Jesus was speaking very plainly. There was no mystery to the words he was using, so it had to be something within the heart of the disciples that had blinders on them so they could not see exactly what he was talking about. The text now reveals what those blinders were. It reveals that with everything they've been told, with everything that they have seen and heard, their hearts were still not in the right place. Even with the power and authority that Jesus had imparted to them, they still didn't get it. If their heart was in the right place and it was genuine desire to learn and to know these things, then in this moment there would have been no reason to fear asking Jesus. How many times has he already said, do not be afraid? And here they are once again. Their faith has been overcome by their fear. After everything they'd seen, everything they'd heard, everything they'd experienced, and even all they had physically, personally done when Jesus sent them out, this is what they're concerned with. Luke reveals, verse 46, an argument among the disciples started as to which of them would be the greatest. (laughs) In other words, the only thing in the last week that they've heard Jesus say was, yep, I'm the Messiah. That's it. They didn't hear a single other thing. All the other things about him being turned over to man, the part about him dying, the part about each of them dying to self, losing their life for his sake, they miss that part. And they began to focus on, hey, when Jesus is king, um, I want to be fill in the blank. Oh, yeah, well, I think I should be fill in the blank. No, no, no. I think I should be. I think I healed the most people. Oh, yeah, well, I answered his question right. (laughs) Look at me. This was their conversation. This is where they were at. I cast out the most demons. (laughs) Can you just hear them arguing? When we hear that and we think right now probably really negative thoughts about those people, also remember that these are the men that started the church. These are the men that allowed us to be here today. It's incredible what God did to transform this group of people into who they became. And he could do the same with all of us, which makes that pretty amazing. And before you get too harsh on them, also remember this little part of the story, it's very, very likely that all of them were teenagers as they were having this discussion, except for probably Peter. He was the oldest. He was married. He was likely older. But the others were all upper teens or early 20s, probably at oldest. So all those old movies and things we saw where all the disciples had beards as they're walking around with Jesus, probably weren't even shaving yet, some of them. That's why they had this conversation. They were immature. It was a competition. They were guys. That's what they were doing. And I love, love, love Jesus' response to their ignorance. He, He doesn't get mad at them. He certainly could have. They haven't listened to a word he's saying. You know, teachers, you've been in the class before. Nobody's listening. You get frustrated. You get angry. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he gives them this beautiful illustration, one that never left their mind. Did they get it in the moment? Nope, you'll find that out here in just a second. But it's an illustration that never would have left their mind, especially once they became the apostles. And it's one that we should apply to our lives today. Verse 47, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing the argument they're having, he, he took a little child and he had him stand beside him. And he said, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you who is the greatest. 
Now, Jesus takes a childhood, but, child here, but it's not for what you think. Jesus doesn't take the child because of that childlike innocence. He doesn't take the child because of the childlike simplistic faith. It's not because children have a special place in the kingdom of God. None of those are what he's illustrating here. What he is doing, he's using a child here because no one would think that a child is the greatest in any community. In Jesus' time, a child was the least important, least powerful member of all of society. So Jesus' point, the greatest are those that serve those, that serve those who are powerless and in need. It's not those who are bragging about their position or their power or their authority. Jesus even reminds them that if you're willing to welcome ones like this into your midst, it's as if you're welcoming me and obviously the one who sent me. Now that gave the disciples something to think about. And as time goes on, they'll begin to understand. But at least in this moment, it appears that they completely missed the point once again. We don't know the exact timeline here, but it's somewhere soon, maybe even part of the same conversation. Yet Jesus still loves them when they miss the point, just like he still loves us when we don't quite get it right either. Thank you, Jesus, for that, because I know I'm in that boat. So we'll end with this. This scene at the end here where John I, I, I wonder if he, we have many teachers, we have students here in class. That student that's sitting in class as the teacher's talking, he just keeps raising his hand, and you know he's going to ask something that is completely irrelevant. I mean, that means nothing to what we're talking about in class. I would always tell my students, um, a lot of teachers say things like, you know, there's no stupid questions. That's a lie. There are stupid questions in life, okay? <laughs> and so I'm just telling your teacher lying to you when they say that. There are no stupid questions that are relevant to the topic at hand. So when you raise your hand in class and you ask as you're discussing your math course, hey, what's for lunch? That's a stupid question, and I'll tell you that, okay? Um, that's, that's the reality here. This is a stupid question. John's like, oh, yeah, well, I, oh, great, thanks, Jesus, for that information. Jesus, um, hey, we saw somebody out there who's driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. <laughs> really, John? Like, you, this is the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> and you're like, John, I, I just I want to see the look on Jesus' face as John says this. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what is going on? What is it that John has missed? We have no idea who this guy is. He's never mentioned again, at least that we know of. He might be. He might be one of those other apostles that are out healing and teaching later on after Jesus' resurrection. We don't know who he is. All we know is this. He's doing the Lord's work. He's actually doing the exact same thing that the disciples had been sent out to do and failed. We just talked about. The same thing that really started this whole conversation was Jesus casting out this demon out of a boy. What does John not see? The only thing he does see is that this man wasn't one of them. He's not one of the disciples. He's not in the club. He's not the chosen one like they are. In other words, every single thing that John is questioning is the exact opposite of what Jesus had just taught them. John obviously didn't see himself as the least of these, but as something greater, at least greater than this man who was casting out demons. So Jesus has a very simple response to him. Hey, uh, John, um, Leave him alone. <laughs> Don't stop him. Whoever is not against you is, is for you. Now, please note, don't take this out of context, okay? This is not a blanket statement. This is not true in all situations. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself later on in Luke says, he who is not with me 
is against me. You see, everyone must make a choice ultimately to be with Jesus or to not be with Jesus. No matter the reason for a person not to be with Jesus, they are now seen as being in opposition to Jesus. So Jesus' statement doesn't have anything to do as some people sometimes will, will portray with denominations. They like to use that passage. It's a real colorful passage, and you maybe could apply it, but the reality is when Luke wrote this, there were no denominations. There was the church, period, the end. So we, it's hard to really truthfully, hermeneutically apply it to that. So Jesus is warning his people, hey guys, you need to regard yourself real good against pride here, because I came for everyone, and I don't need you or anyone else standing in the way of the work that other people are doing in my name. Get out of their way, no matter what language they speak, no matter what color of their skin, no matter what part of the world they're from, let them be. If they are preaching the truth of Jesus, then they're with y'all. I don't care who you all are. The world today is seeking to divide us on every possible little tiny point of doctrine that it can. We can't allow that to happen. We have to unite under the banner of Christ. We have to support and encourage one another. We are all working together for his glory. John confesses. He says, we're trying to stop the man. They tried to stop a man from freeing him as a prisoner of this demon in the name of Jesus. What on earth were they thinking? This seems like such a great thing for them to do. Hey, man, you can't do that. You don't know Jesus like I do. You're not one of us. Who do you think you are, man? That should never, ever, ever even come to your mind. When you see another church, another group of people doing the work of Christ, doing good for Christ, what should we do? We should be supporting, encouraging, empowering, and loving others in that name of Jesus in our community, whoever it is. When we see others with God-given gifts, we should be encouraging them to use those gifts to his glory. It is not a competition other, other than to see how many people we can take with us into his heaven. That's the only competition that exists is how many folks can we get to join us in heaven. Nothing we should do should bring attention to us. Everything should be glory and honor to Jesus. So for you personally, has God given you an idea? Has he given you a dream in your heart a ministry, if you will, a way to reach out? Because here's the really cool thing, and I, and I don't tell you these things on purpose. Since before I started here in the summer, in, the, in June of 2018, right after uh, they, they decided to allow me to come and serve you here, I began getting dreams and ideas and thoughts and things. And I've shared a few of those things with a very, 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 very few people. But I don't want them to be my dreams. I want them to be our dreams because I believe well, there's unity in that and, and it's a wonderful thing. And so I just kind of sit here and wait. And then as you come to me or one of the other leadership and you share with me the dreams that God has given you for this church and this community and ministry, and all of a sudden my Rolodex flips and God's like, yeah, I, I, I told you about that. Like, yes, you did. And so what's that tell me? Hey, we're together. God's speaking to you as well. And it's time. It's time to move forward with those things. We had a leadership team meeting on Thursday. And that very thing happened, some ideas and thoughts that God had given me a long time ago. And I'm like, eh, I don't want this to be Chris's idea. That's not what it's about. It's God's idea. It's God's plan. And I, I verify that through you as you bring those ideas through me. I'm like, yeah, God's connecting the dots. And so if that's you, would you consider sharing those dreams, those ideas, those visions, those ministry opportunities with us? God's placed that on your heart for a purpose. And maybe, just maybe, he's already begun to connect those dots behind the scenes, and he's just waiting for you to be a part of that and to share it, maybe even to lead and direct it. Yeah, 
that could happen. Let's be honest. <laughs> Maybe your pursuit of Jesus, believers, has been a lot like the disciples. Maybe you've been in the church your whole life, and the reality is you're, you chose to believe and follow ultimately, really truthfully, because of what's in it for you. That thought of hell seems like a bad idea, and I don't really want that, so I think I'm going to love Jesus. Okay, not a bad starting point. That's not a terrible reason <laughs> to, to begin to follow Jesus. Salvation is pretty awesome. Forgiveness of sins, incredible. Grace and mercy, wonderful. But like the disciples, we have to realize that Jesus came to do more than just save us from. He saved us for so much more. And it all starts with sharing what he has given us with others so that they too can come to know him. I titled today's message, and I, I'm not a big title person because, but I titled today's message, Have You Seen Him? Have you seen him? Because these three men that we began today with, Peter, James, and John, they, they didn't just get to see him, they got to see him. And ultimately, it took a bit, it, it took a few, few weeks, few months but ultimately, they saw him, and it changed their lives forever. And because they saw him, guess what? It's also changed our lives forever because they carried that on, and they started that thing called the church, and they began spreading that message all over the world. And here we are today still sharing that same message. What I want to do is to encourage you. Don't be afraid. There are no stupid dreams or visions that God gives us. It might be difficult to implement. It might not be time yet. But God gives you those thoughts and ideas. He gives you the passions and desires, and it's time for us to start running with those. Life is short. Have we learned that? <laughs> Life is short. We've got to take advantage of every moment we get. So share those things with us. Father God, as we come before you today and we remember here in a moment the, the sacrifice you made for us, may we all come before you praying, asking not just, not just for forgiveness, not just for your grace and your mercy, not just for healing, not just for even your presence in your life. Those are all fine. Those are wonderful things. Those are great things to pray for, and we should be begging you for them each and every day of our lives. But Father, you did so much more than save us from those things. You saved us for things, work to do here on this earth, ministry to do on this earth, people to reach here on this earth. And so our daily prayers should also be a reminder of that. And we should be asking God, God, give me a dream. Give me a vision. Give me a desire. What is it you would have me to do on this earth? I'm not supposed to just exist. I'm supposed to live for you. And Father, I know you've given those dreams. I know you've given those ministry ideas to people in our midst. And I want them to know that the leadership of this church is overjoyed to receive those from them and to begin to plot and plan and pray about how you want those things implemented in our community. I can't wait to see what that looks like. Father, if there's those here today that have, have literally followed you maybe their whole life, but they, they did so out of what they thought of necessity. I, I, I've got to choose Jesus. The alternative is, well, it's, it's hell. <laughs> and, and that sounds terrible, so I'm going to choose to follow you. And I'm so glad they chose to follow you. Uh, but Father, the, they're not following you the way you've asked them to. You don't just ask us to tag along in the back of the crowd and exist. You give each and every one of us unique and special plans for our lives that we are to then act out here. Father, we are to then go through these stages of life, this development, this, this Christian walk as we mature in our faith and become more and more like you as we seek 
to save the lost, just like you. Empower those in our midst that maybe have been in the church a so very long time to bring those ideas and visions. Give them those ideas and visions. Father, I know that's a crazy prayer for a pastor to pray, to give the people the vision, but Father God, that's what we pray today. Give us the courage and the strength as leadership to follow you and listen carefully to discern those visions. Father, we love you. What an incredible morning to be in your presence.